Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the political comedy podcast that asks the big questions such as, is May's deal the UK's endless Sisyphean punishment because we've somehow angered the gods? As well as the smaller questions like, if you're sad about Dominic Grieve getting a vote of no confidence, is that Grieve grieving? This is episode 137, I'm Tin and Duyeb, and this week the clocks went forward, so isn't it nice to know that at least something in the UK is progressing in the right direction? MPs have once again said no to absolutely everything, which makes me realise they'd be a really shit improv group. The votes took place after environmental campaigners Extinction Rebellion took to the public gallery and stripped off down to thongs before gluing themselves to the viewing glass. And yet that was only the first time that evening that the Commons was stuck with poorly concealed thin divides. The week began with Prime Minister and scorched hedgerow Theresa May agreeing to resign once Brexit reached its second phase, which is a clever choice of words from someone who knows that as she brings back the same deal again and again and Brexit is extended forevermore while the UK remains in a perpetual state of limbo with a very, very low bar, we may never reach that second phase and she'll remain like the political barnacle that she is. Calling it a second phase also really sounds like it's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, only one where you wish Thanos would have wiped absolutely everyone out. Try, try and try again, said the spider to Robert the Bruce before he went on to kick British bum at the Battle of Bannockburn, despite just moments before hallucinating about talking spiders. But if that spider had been talking to Theresa May, it probably would have witnessed her fail again and again, and after shouting give up at her six to seven hundred thousand times, it would have carefully strung its web into a noose and hung itself out of despair. On Friday, May brought back the meaningful vote on her deal for the third time, only it was only the withdrawal agreement part of the deal, which is all about kind of ending the past agreements with the EU, and it wasn't the political declaration part of the deal, which was all about the future relationship. Because why would you want to consider the future when your life is constantly stuck in the same awful moment again and again, like a recurring war flashback? But unsurprisingly, the House of Commons said no to just half of the deal. Only less of it said no than before, with several politicians who'd previously damned May's deal as the worst thing for the country, now convinced by her promise of leaving if it passed. But I guess why would you care about the future of the island you live on if chances are high that you'll get to spend the eternal purge hiding in a luxury bunker under Whitehall and only emerge when the last two plebs have eaten each other? Former Foreign Secretary and beanbag stuffed with hay and manure, Boris Johnson, announced that he had come to the sad conclusion that he had to back May's deal, on account of the possibilities of him being Prime Minister, raising slightly, if you ignore that he has no popularity among Conservatives and even less amongst the British public. But hey, since when has reality or fact held Boris back? Previously, he'd resigned from his post as Foreign Secretary because of May's deal, and just days before this attempt, he'd announced that her deal was dead. But within 48 hours of this vote, he was gripping that corpse and trying to thrust life back into it, hoping it might reanimate his also much-deceased career. Human barcode that when scanned comes up with a very costly error, Jacob Rees-Mogg, also U-turned on his opinion on May's deal that he'd previously said would turn the UK into a slave state. Although admittedly, we weren't entirely sure if that was a good or a bad thing coming from him. But after May's resignation promise, Rees-Mogg said it was better to have half a loaf of bread than none at all, which is pretty rich coming from a man who'll never be in that situation due to lots and lots of inherited dough. Many Leave voters and Brexiteers were angry with Rees-Mogg for going back on his word, which is odd as that's the one defining characteristic that I thought they all had in common. 
Former Brexit Secretary and sunburnt knee Dominic Raab said that he'd back the deal that he previously resigned over despite negotiating it, which must have been because he'd just learned that the past the sky is space and didn't understand how that worked and just needed to be near people to stop him from crying. Not all the Brexiteers were convinced, though, and Mr Muscle's illegitimate sickly child and chair of the ERG, Steve Baker, got so angry at the turncoating of his colleagues that he announced at a group meeting that he was livid and could tear the place down and bulldoze it into the river, which is pretty big talk for a man who looks like he'd need a sit-down after opening a door. But as I said, May's deal was rejected in the least surprising development so far, as we all know based on the films that the third part of the trilogy is always the worst, and no one was ever going to go for the Prime Minister's reboot of The Godfather Part 3. I would find it hilarious that the likes of Boris or Raab pointlessly betrayed their own principles, but that would mean pretending they had principles in the first place and that every comment they make isn't just their overcrowded brains flushing words out in the hope that it'll lead to them getting a sandwich. All the newspapers said everyone who didn't vote for May's deal was a traitor to British democracy, even though weeks before the same papers said that the deal itself was traitorous to British democracy. Is this why May just keeps bringing it back to be rejected? Is that the only way to not betray anyone by both having it and voting against it all at once? It's starting to feel like the only person who can solve Brexit is someone who's immensely good at riddles, like Oedipus or Giles Brandreth. Turns out Danny Dyer was totally right. So, what next? Earlier in the week, MPs had indicative votes on eight alternative Brexit options, ranging from no deal to a Norway-type option to Labour's deal to revoking Article 50, and again, unsurprisingly, MPs voted against absolutely all of them because Brexit is so shit now that even non-Brexit options have been ruined by it. What they should have had on there was an option to just erase Brexit from all of our minds using one of those devices from Men in Black, and I reckon that would have been unanimous. I mean, what are we left with? Coin flipping, pulling random words out of a bag until you have a new deal, or getting everyone to do a Ouija board and see what the undead think. Sorry, I mean the Lords. Out of all of them, though, aligning with the EU Customs Union and the motion for a second referendum were the most popular, and so more indicative votes were brought in for Monday. But again, on that vote, much like a cocaine addict's party, the nose had everything. Motions for a customs union, a Commons Market 2.0, a second referendum and parliamentary supremacy were all voted against, albeit in some cases by only a handful of votes, because various members would only vote for the one they liked and not the others that they weren't actually opposed to. Labour leader and fully realised Robert Crumb sketch Jeremy Corbyn said that Theresa May got to bring her deal back three times and that was defeated by a much larger margin than several of the alternatives, so why not bring the popular ones back for a third vote too? But at time of recording, of course, no one has agreed on that either. But it also looks like May might bring her deal back again for MV4, more meaningful, more voting, because she has absolutely no other ideas than just repeatedly wearing the commons down. If she was a door-to-door salesperson, rather than accept a polite refusal and try another door, she'd just ring on the same doorbell again and again for three weeks straight, never leaving, always saying the same thing, until the residents were forced to buy self-help books just to make her go, which she then wouldn't do, even if she'd promised she would, and they'd find her parading around by the bins later that day, insisting that another salesperson would have done it much worse. Is there any chance that an unchanged fourth vote will go through? No, the DUP still won't back it, with the party's Brexit spokesperson and the one in the 80s comedy double act who had to quit due to alcoholism, Sammy Wilson, saying that they'd oppose May's deal even if she brought it to the Commons 1,000 times. Which is a stupid comment, as that'll only persuade May to think that there's hope if she presents it for a thousand and first. Conservative chief whip and dog from the Beano, Julian Smith, has said that a soft Brexit is inevitable, but I'm not sure how soft it's going to be if you just put a sheet over a bed of spikes and then leap at it from 300 feet. There have been talks about May calling a general election, but other Conservatives have warned her that if she does, her party will be even more annihilated as they're currently neck and neck, or lower than Labour in the polls. But also, with May promising to step down, voters would have no idea who they'd been giving licence to to BPM if they voted Conservative. I mean, imagine that. You put down your vote for May, which you wouldn't, you're not an idiot, and within days, prosthetic anus Michael Gove is prancing around number 10 in his red shorts, demanding everyone refer to him as Supreme Leader, while misquoting Game of Thrones and trying to bring back capital punishment. Dildo bitten by a vampire, Ian Duncan Smith, is also considering taking part in Conservative leadership contests because nothing says reliable candidate like someone who was so bad at being Tory leader last time he was replaced by Michael Howard, an MP who's best known for looking like he eats children. Is Theresa May the worst Prime Minister the UK has ever had? It does depend on what criteria you're looking at, but if that criteria includes uselessness, stubbornness, racism and a legacy that mainly involves driving the UK so hard into the ground that we're likely to become a subterranean nation of Morlocks and Mole people by 2030, then yes, yes she is. Still, it feels entirely possible, based on her list of potential successors, that they'll all be asking Theresa to hold their beer within minutes. 
On Friday, there was a March to Leave demonstration of thousands of pro-Brexit campaigners who descended onto Parliament to protest at being betrayed by the UK not leaving on March the 29th. I guess it'd be like a kid being told they were going on holiday on a specific date, but not being told where to or how they were getting there, and then they're so angry that it hasn't happened, despite the parents knowing full well that the holiday company has gone bust, and so it's better to stay at home than walk into the sea. The crowd were addressed by prolapsed turkey Nigel Farage, who said that what had happened over the last two years was one of the saddest and worst chapters in the history of our nation, which is a pretty big statement when it's up against, I don't know, the Black Plague or the war. But if it is one of the worst, and I'm sure that's largely down to him being a big part of it, regularly making us wretch whenever he appears on the news to fart out of his mouth. Far-right campaigner and man whose face like a skin pug's anus proves that he's not part of the master race, Tommy Robinson, told the march that they had been betrayed. Well, that must be true if a man who doesn't use his real name and uses donations from supporters to eat crisps all day in his £1 million mansion in Bedfordshire rather than getting a real job says so. Channel 4 News had to issue an apology after presenter Jon Snow reported on the march by saying that he'd never seen so many white people in one place, which seemed to be an accurate description and also proves he's never been skiing before. Still, maybe accurate descriptions just aren't wanted by the public, and hearing such things was probably quite a shock. I really hope Channel 4 managed to balance it out by speaking to someone on the streets who's never been outside before and the head of a group who believe lion people rule space. But it's not just on the leave march that the far right has had a presence this past week. Conservative MP and what if there was a Tory version of CBB, Suella Braverman, spoke at a meeting in Westminster where she used the alt-right term cultural Marxism, which does sound like it could be a really great thing where all theatre tickets are priced the same, but actually it stems from an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory and was a large part of Norwegian terrorist Anders Breivik's manifesto, as well as the one written by the murderer in New Zealand a few weeks ago. Braverman's response was simply to say that she believes we are in a war and that no one can get offended. Hmm, I'm pretty sure most wars start because one side is more offended than the other by something the other side is doing. I don't think Syria kicked off because everyone sat around agreeing. Then on Sunday, Jacob Rees-Mogg retweeted a speech by the leader of the German far-right party, AFD, but Mogg said he wasn't supporting them, just showing a speech of real importance. Which is supporting them. Hi, I'm not endorsing these incredibly tasty crisps I'm eating. I just want you to know how good they are and how much you should buy them. Hmm. The constant rise of the far right and full-on integration of their values into mainstream politics is absolutely terrifying, but we can all seek solace that a new form of politics is here in the shape of the independent group, who've now applied to become a proper party by the name of Change UK, which sounds a lot like one of those machines at supermarkets you put your 1 and 2p coins into because they're annoying. It's also been pointed out that their initials will now spell C-U-K, or cuck, which is both an alt-right term used by men who are afraid of sex and an old Shakespearean slur, both insinuating that you let others have sex with your partner, who usually in their instances is female. But I think that suits the Tiggers, as most of their lukewarm ideas seem to suggest that they would idly stand by as another party fucks their country. So far, the Cuck's newest plans involve trying to get a Mexican wave started in the Commons, to which the DUP refused to join in, and I hate that Change UK have made me like the DUP for once. Bastards. Another one of their plans was refusing to vote for the indicative motion on aligning with a customs union, as they'd only back their own motion for a second referendum, and then insisting that we shouldn't have a general election, as we all know they'd be wiped out before they could pay millions to a hipster to design them a new logo, where their logo looks like the French Connection one, because that's the sort of really cool original thing they do. The Cucks may be getting a new member soon, though, as Conservative MP and Odo from Deep Space Nine, Dominic Grieve, has lost a vote of no confidence brought by his local Conservative Party. Knowing Grieve, he probably very vocally opposed it, and then when it came to the crunch, voted against himself. The vote happened because they believe Grieve wasn't representing his constituents by being opposed to Brexit, even though his area of Beaconsfield voted 51% to remain, so by being an MP who opposed Brexit but kept hampering his own motions, I think he did pretty well to appeal to everyone. They may also have gained Conservative MP, and if he exists, somewhere out there must be a six-year-old boy with an old man's face, Nick Bowles, who announced he was leaving the Conservative Party after his motion for a Commons Market 2.0 was defeated, and he said it was all down to the Tories refusing to compromise. I mean, just on the basis that he has principles that he's willing to stand by, suggests he was probably in the wrong party anyway. The Leave campaign withdrew their appeal over the Electoral Commission's decision that they'd exceeded spending limits during the referendum. And that means they've admitted to electoral fraud, although the campaigns say that it's because they've actually run out of money, probably because the Russians are too busy bothering Venezuela right now to help out.
ex-chairwoman of that great aunt that you can't stand, Gisela Stewart, said that their biggest problem was that they destroyed all the data of their campaign so they didn't have the evidence the Electoral Commission were asking for. Yeah, cool. I mean, that sounds like something you definitely do if you were innocent, right? I mean, why not really protest your innocence by moving the campaign to Chad and insisting that you never existed in the first place? There's now so much evidence that the campaign was run illegally, but no one in Parliament really seems to care, unless they consider this process to be the appropriate punishment. You know, an illegal campaign punished by endless, endless nothing happening all the time. In which case, I'd say that actually, our current Brexit state is so awful, I think it stopped being retributive justice over a year ago. In other news, at a summit on youth violence, Theresa May said that the issue of knife crime needed a great cooperated effort from numerous bodies, which is like A, the Punisher saying you need calm diplomatic talks, and B, numerous bodies perhaps isn't the greatest choice of words for the subject matter. Plans look to make teachers and NHS staff accountable for failing to spot violent crime among young people, which feels like the Conservatives have just gone to the extreme of their ideas of cuts to public sector workers. And lastly, in Ukraine, a comedian with no background in politics other than playing the president in a TV show about a member of the public getting elected is now the front-runner to become president. Volodymyr Zelensky got 30% of the votes in the first round of the election, with the current leader only getting 16%. Still, the establishment needn't worry, as if he wins, all they have to do is flash a red light and he'll wrap up and leave within seconds. Oh, that is a niche joke, isn't it? Comedy fans? Any comedy fans understand that one? Probably. It's possibly just me. God, that was. Probably should have ended on a better one there. Hey, it's April Fools! Oh, it was so bloody hard to tell what the pranks were this week, wasn't it? Liz Trust saying something stupid. No, that one was real. Mmm. The Great British Chef's list of essential recipes for a post Brexit Britain, including seawater soup and barbecued pigeon. Well, that one was fake, but may also be real in a couple of weeks. Basically, April Fools is yet another annual celebration ruined by current politics, you know, along with Darwin Day, which has been rendered and pointless by our society's constant devolution and Halloween because everything else is far, far scarier than ghosts right now. But, hey, look, um, sorry, what I mean is I hope you're well. Hello, and you didn't wake up to some sort of horrible prank where you've had your breakfast replaced with the toenails of your enemies or someone swapped your bike for a gerbil or something. I'll be honest, I've never really put the effort into celebrating it. I have no idea what goes on. Uh, my weekend has mostly been spent trying to work out how to make a one-year-old go to sleep despite the clocks going forward and bedtime now being a, a moment when the sun is shining right into her eyes, seemingly powering her up so she's got even more energy to trash the place while I'm singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star like a man with absolutely nothing left to give. I'm guessing the inventor of British summertime was not the parent of small children or he'd have worked an awful lot harder at just scrapping his own plans and instead spending time on some sort of Valium but for kids. How are you lot? Are you good? I hope you're not burned out by the news. I'm finding it increasingly difficult for this podcast to point out in different ways just how awful the Prime Minister is and how endlessly boring and terrifying Brexit is at the same time. Um, I'm moving flat on Friday, so my plan was not to have an episode next week, but next week could be the last week before Brexit, possibly, maybe, if it doesn't just go on forever until all that's left of Earth is a radio signal transmitted past the solar system of May saying that you have to back a deal in order to stop no deal. So... All I'm saying is I'll try and churn out something, but it may just be me mumbling between unpacked boxes. Um, Unless by some absolute miracle, Brexit is actually pushed back to May the 22nd. Everyone just agrees to lie down and sit very still for seven days, in which case I will have a week off. Um, I'm so not getting a week off, am I? I'm absolutely not. Not till at least 2050, but something may happen next week. Um, Anyway, thank you all for listening. Um, All of you lot who listen every week, like champion ear welders. And hello also to my new listeners, too. I know some of you have very kindly subscribed after seeing my on-stage breakdown supporting Frankie Boyle uh, in his warm-up shows for the excellent New World Order that's back on BBC Two on Thursdays and very worth a watch if you don't already. Um, if you are a new listener and for some bonkers reason you enjoy this show then please do give it a review on your pod app of choice but especially iTunes because I only need eight more till the show has 150 reviews which isn't even very much. I mean some shows some shows have thousands of reviews thousands and thousands of reviews. Do I want thousands of lovely reviews? Well yeah I mean but for now, I'd take eight more. That's it. I'm a, I'm a humble, simple man. Uh, eight more would do me fine. Um, if you could afford to, obviously as well, please donate to the show and buy me a coffee at uh, ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro or at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro. And look, you don't have to at all. This show is free. But, you know, you might be thinking, God damn, this should be paid for content.
content out of the sheer moral goodness of your hearts. And you might think that all this time I spend on the show, maybe I could be out there doing corporate gigs for companies that sell weapons to otters or something awful, but I'm not. And maybe you want to buy me a coffee to applaud that, applaud that life choice. Well, if you do, then please do. That would be good. Otters really shouldn't have weapons. They are slippery bastards. Um, Of course, uh, if you can't uh, or won't uh, donate or couldn't think of anything worse, then at least pop a mention in your Twitters or Facebooks or Snapchats or Talk Monkeys or Speak Wobbles or Bleaters or Pie Space or whatever it is that you use and please let other people know to give this show a listen. Um, Speaking of the socials, uh, some of you who follow the Parpolbro Twitter or are part of the Facebook group may have noticed how massively shit I am at running those things. Um, And that's partly because on Twitter I also run my own account and keep all the best gags for that because I'm selfish. Um, Meaning that the Parpolbro Twitter is just me endlessly and unimaginatively posting links to the show and nothing else apart from the occasional poll. Um, And the Facebook group is mostly the same apart from the efforts of some of you listeners actually posting good stuff. So the question is, is it worth me having those accounts? I mean, I'm not sure I have much time to do anything more with them, but would any of you fancy running them or kind of being in charge of them more and perhaps posting links to articles, politics discussions or good bits of satire like I mean to do? Um, I'm sure you don't, but any thoughts welcomed on what I should do with it? It feels a shame to get rid of them at the same time. I do not have the time to be doing anything useful. Um, Similarly, how many of you actually look at the partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk website? I have now added all of the scripts for all of the shows there, which don't always include the interviews as only some of those are transcribed. Again, still looking for people willing to transcribe those if any of you out there would like to do that. Um... The scripts contain a ton of spelling and grammar errors, and one day, when I have time in my life, which will be never ever, I will tidy those up. Um, but still, uh, that's all there, full of errors. Um, if you want to go back through the archives of my descriptions of MPs, or how many times I've had to write about absolutely no one having a clue what to do with Brexit, um, you can check all that out at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk. Uh, last bit of admin this week is that I'm on two other podcasts this week that aren't this one. Oh my god, what? I know, right? Next thing you know, the sun's going to be calling me a traitor, and then in future weeks, saying that by me not going on other podcasts that I'm also a traitor. Um, I'm a guest uh, on Danielle Ward's excellent Any Stupid Questions, uh, where she, me, and the very funny Kima Brione Bob interview councillor Tim Rocker about, well, being a councillor. Um, that was an awful lot of fun to record, and also really interesting too. Tim Rocker genuinely um, explains quite a lot of stuff. Do give that a listen. Uh, and then later in the week, I'm on Hannah Dunleavy's very fun podcast, The Drink, talking about terrible things I've done while drunk. All of which, I have to say, didn't sound anywhere near as entertaining um, as I said them out loud. Uh, they were in my head they sounded amazing um, although she promises uh, that they weren't very good so there you go but that's because she's nice anyway do please check both those out I'll pop links uh, to both podcasts in the podcast info for this one as well um, also I'm sure all of you already listened to the amazing Blind Boy podcast um, but if not go back to his show in November of last year where he interviews the amazing Northern Irish politician Bernadette Devlin McCallisky. Um I only just caught up on that episode uh, last week and she is now my new hero and I can't believe I've never heard of her before and in entirely blame the lack of education that you get about Northern Ireland when you live in England. Um, She's properly awe-inspiring and uh, her tales of both um, witnessing Bloody Sunday and then her reaction to it in Parliament where she slapped the Home Secretary um, as well as her story about being uh, shot by the UDA. I mean, all of it is very moving, just incredible and her whole way that she sees current politics is, uh, yeah, goddamn, I wish more people thought like her. Um, Anyway, uh, on this week's show, there is an actually positive, optimistic interview which has completely thrown me, because that isn't what happens on this podcast. Jesus Christ, what am I doing to this show? Am I ruining it? I mean, the interviews on this show are usually about the impending destruction of the planet, or about everyone being poor, or everyone being Nazis, or how Nazis are planning the impending destruction of the planet by using poverty, which actually, I suppose, isn't that far off the truth. Hmm. Anyway, um, this week, though, I chat to Tom Cannon, creator of Drag Queen Storytime, uh, all about LGBT issues, and the whole chat left a lovely, lovely smile on my face. I mean, it's a shame that all the progress in wiping out prejudice that we talk about will probably be completely ruined by that Nazi plan, eh? Oh well. Uh, plus, there is a very brief Brexit fallout that will probably be incorrect the nanosecond after I release this podcast. I mean, it's almost just becoming a tradition, isn't it? Um, and of course, there's this. The trouble with internet laws is that no one involved in making them, or in fact criticising them, ever seems to look online to see what it's actually all about. 
Case in point is Article 13, which is now actually Article 15, because, um, no, actually, I have no idea, and I have checked the internet. I just guess that other articles pushed in somewhere down the line, or maybe it lied about its age in order to get into a film. I really have no idea. Article 15, though, and also Article 17, which was Article 15 until Article 13 stole its parking space and it had to budge up to, was voted for in European Parliament last week. And to cut a very long, boring story short, it means that copyright laws will apply to online sites as well. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it kind of depends on a number of things. I mean, for a start, do you like stealing other people's content and then popping it online all for yourself, whether that's music, films or damn sassy jokes? Then you probably won't like this law much, as sites such as YouTube, Facebook or Google will now be held responsible if users upload copyright-protected content, unless they can demonstrate they made their best efforts to get permission from the copyright holder to make sure material specified by rights holders was not available and quickly remove any material once they were made aware of it. But ofs, them some pretty big sites. I mean, have you seen... YouTube, there's at least tens of videos on there. So this sort of law will require them to hire more staff to deal with it or create some special algorithms or preemptively buy licenses to cope with or something like that that will no doubt involve some sort of charge to all the people using it which will limit how many people will use it but no one's really sure because it's not entirely clear how it will work or be enforceable. And those rules are just for companies that have an annual turnover of £10.8 billion or more. But the bigger issue comes not with the big-time websites, but how it will affect everyone who use the internet in Europe, including those sites, which I think is at least 5 to 10 people I haven't really checked, and all the businesses that use it as well, and what costs they may then incur in order to do that. Some things have been made exempt, such as hyperlinks, or memes, or works that are generated for purposes of quotation, criticism, review, caricature, parody, or pastiche. So I think that means that you can pop Avengers Endgame up on Facebook as long as throughout it you make duh noises, and every time someone says Captain America, you say smapped in some America. It's all a bit confusing though, and on one hand it looks like it could be quite good for content creators like myself who'll be able to protect their work and earn from it being duplicated, but at the same time things like computer game streaming might die, as game artwork and music and other elements will all be covered. So that could be the end of people like PewDiePie who... Oh no wait, maybe this lore is amazing. Other parts of the law are not being debated at all and are welcomed, such as protections to keep public domain works uncopyrighted even after they're digitised, meaning they can still be used by researchers and cultural institutions. This has been praised by the Wikimedia Foundation, though citation is needed on that. This law may affect Britain unless Brexit kicks in before it does, and either way the law has to be passed by a vote by a majority of EU member states and then the directives have to be applied by them in exactly the same way for it all to count. So it still might change over the next two years, and in the meantime you can enjoy making up your favourite 13 means 15 memes to your heart's content, which I believe is exempt from copyright laws what with it being your own organ. glimpse really, really closely into the heart of the swirling shitstorm that is British politics. If you're really, really careful and really lucky, you may just, on a blue moon, capture a glimpse at a single nugget of sweet corn trapped in the heart of the excrement vortex. Last week, for example, I know you're not ready for this, but but MPs actually did a good thing. No, look, it's not an overdue April Fool's. I'm not pulling your leg. I don't even know where your leg is. Is that it? Oh, God, sorry. No, it just it felt very much like a le- look, I'm so I'm so sorry. I know it's hard to believe these things when week in, week out at the moment we're just used to Parliament being some sort of very poorly run anger management therapy group, but last week MPs voted in favour of LGBT inclusive relationship and sex education for schools in England. 538 MPs voted for the motion as put forward by Education Secretary and face of a boxer from a 60s comic book, Damien Hines, which will mean that children are taught about different family models from primary school, including same-sex couples and parents, lesbian, gay, bisexual and transsexual identities, and how everybody is equally just functional and awkward during puberty regardless of their gender and you just have to deal with it spotty because you get over it eventually when you're like I don't know 30 something and now too old to have sex anymore without being exhausted. This move is long overdue and will hopefully curb prejudices and increase inclusion towards LGBTQI plus children from a very early age, which is still very much needed, as has been seen recently in Birmingham and Manchester, where angry religious parents have campaigned against the No Outsider programme that teaches kids about LGBT identities. These parents have said that it goes against their religious beliefs, which is odd because in the Quran and Bible, there's a whole bit where it says it's okay to have several wives or have sex with prisoners of war, and in the Bible, loads of cases of incest too. So maybe those parents are just angry that these lessons are about very normal relationships instead of all the batshit crazy ancient ones. LGBT plus charity Stonewall say that two in five LGBT plus pupils aren't taught anything about these issues in school and half of all LGBT plus pupils are still bullied for their identity. So hopefully these new laws will begin to change that. 
Of course, 21 MPs voted against it, and you can probably guess exactly which ones. Yeah, that's right, several DUP ministers who shudder at the thought of anyone in love or smiling or enjoying the sunshine and need to stamp that out before it spreads. Then there was Christopher Chope and Philip Davis, who feel threatened by same-sex marriage as they wouldn't feel comfortable being abusive to another man. And convict Fiona Onasanya, who doesn't want children to know about LGBT plus relationships, but thinks it's very like Jesus to get caught speeding than lie to police. He was such a complex figure, that Jesus, eh? Hmm. So this week's interview is actually, for the first time in a millennia, a positive one, as I got to speak to Tom Cannon, who runs Drag Queen Storytime, a company who arranged for drag queens to visit schools and read children's stories to teach them about inclusivity and acceptance of LGBT plus issues. We spoke before Parliament had approved Heinz's motion, but Tom still spoke to me about the progression of LGBT plus rights and awareness, the incredibly fun work that his company does, and whether RuPaul's Drag Race has done for drag queens what Live at the Apollo did for comedy, i.e. not quite as helpful as you might think. I hope this provides a positive pop to the Brexit bubble this week and that you enjoy this chat with Tom as much as I did. Here's Tom. Drag Queen Storytime sounds absolutely amazing. Um, what exactly is it and how did the idea um, and project start? Well, the name is uh, pretty self-explanatory. We get drag queens to read stories to between the ages of three and 11. Um, we send them into schools, libraries, community centres, art galleries, music festivals um, to read LGBT-inclusive fairy tales. Um, in regards to how it started, I'd love to say that there was an impressive backstory behind it, but I literally saw a tweet um, about a similar project in America called Drag Queen Story Hour, started by Michelle T and Radar Productions. Um, and I was like, this is amazing. Why doesn't it exist in the UK? And to my surprise, they responded saying, why don't you make it? So I did. And here we are two years later. That's amazing. So they, they gave you permission. You, you asked them and they were absolutely fine with that. Yeah, they were great. Um, I even messaged them on Facebook and sent them a couple of emails just asking for like advice in regards to how to actually begin the process because I'd never done anything like this before. Um, I, I was still studying law at university when I began the, product, uh, the, the project. So it, it was great to be suggested a reading list, given advice in regards to how to structure the project, who to reach out to. But they were really supportive. But we are a ind completely independent group from the American project. And, and how does it work? Do you just sort of uh, approach a whole load of schools? Do you have to be uh, specific about it? I'm guessing you're, you aim at a specific age range, or is there quite a wide age range that you go for? How, does it, how do you approach it? Well, one of the uh, most beautiful things about drag is that you can essentially tailor it to whatever audience you perform for. Um, it's kind of like a magician. If they perform at a children's party, they'll make balloon animals. If they perform at an adult's nightclub, they'll do card tricks and swear at you. Um, <laughs> so you're with drags, uh, Drag Queen Storytime, we're able to specifically tailor it to younger audiences. Islington uh, Council recently released an under fives LGBTQ reading list, which we helped launch. Um, so there's specific books for them and then for the older groups you'll begin to ask questions about lgbtq identity and begin to understand it in a way which unfortunately isn't normally covered in the majority of uh, education but we've also recently been approached by older groups um so there's an organization in london called stonewall housing who cater um a lot of care homes to older lgbtq people so they want to do some kind of like drag luncheon thing just to give them an activity and a bit of uh brightness and glitter into their life so we're looking into expanding our services into the kind of like elderly age group as well that sounds um, absolutely in, amazing yeah <laughs> in regards to how the project actually works um initially myself uh, it, it was literally myself and one of my friends and we just went into um the the watershed nearby which is a community like hub and we were just like we would like to read stories to children <laughs> and they were like <laughs> of course why why not um and then it, it kind of got picked up from there so we started doing free performances in the local library the council got quite heavily involved marvin reese even listed us as one of the like proudest achievements of his like first two uh, years in office um and from there it's essentially been word of mouth so i i don't want to be accused of like pushing an agenda onto anyone so i don't approach any organization first so every group and organization and school and uh library service that we've worked with has directly contacted us through other people recommending us service it's it just sounds absolutely brilliant and really exciting as well i bet the kids just <laughs> must just must love it when you turn up it must just be such a highlight to their day 
There, there's nothing quite like seeing a four-year-old's face light up when they see a seven-foot drag queen for the first time, <laughs> covered in glitter and dressed head to toe in like feather boas. It's genuinely amazing. Um, especially seeing as I had no idea how it was going to go. Like, I, I, I thought it was going to be a good thing because once you've seen, well, if you've seen drag and you've met children, once you put the two together, it, it, it's just a perfect combination. Um, uh, I actually kicked myself that I hadn't thought of it. <laughs> it is one of those things that now you say it, you sort of go, oh, my God, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. And and you were saying that you've got sort of full, I mean, it's, it, it's forgive my complete naivety in this, I don't think I realised that there were enough stories uh, sort of about, um, about gender and about, you know, or about LGBT issues and things that were for children of that age and, and you said you have full reading list which is exciting was it quite easy to put that together has it been difficult is there a lot more out there than i realize uh, there, there there genuinely is there's a lot more out there than i initially realized um thankfully things have uh began to change a lot over the last like five to ten years and more and more lgbtq authors and artists and illustrators are putting forward their work um but not all of the stories we read specifically focus on the lgbtq issues and in america that's very much their focus um but in the uk obviously we have our own set of like political issues that we need to tackle and deal with so we try and be as inclusive and diverse as we possibly can covering feminist takes on traditional fairy tales where rapunzel shaves her head and dyes her hair blue because she doesn't want Prince Charming to climb up it anymore. Um, <laughs> we, we also read stories where the main character, uh, th this is one of the Poppinelli collection, where the main character, the princess in P, um, the, the princess is in a wheelchair. It, for me, it's all about trying to represent the diversity that exists within society beyond just the LGBTQ. Um, but obviously, my main focus is LGBTQ identities because that's what I know. That's, that's so lovely. So you're just, but, but it's how lovely that you're kind of teaching them to kind of remove prejudices of all of all levels. I think that's that's amazing. And and do you find so? Um, I I work with um, kids. We do stand up comedy and stuff for kids. And and my experience of it is that often children in the audience are far more open and far more <laughs> liberal than any adults I've ever met. In a way that gives me slight hope for the future. Um, do you find that teaching children about such issues at a young age is, uh, again, do you, do you find that they just kind of latch onto it? Do you, have you ever had any difficulties? Um, not from the children. Uh, we've performed for somewhere around 8,000 children in the past two years uh, in almost 100 performances across the country. And out of all of those performances, I can only remember three times where one of the kids said, you're a man in dress. Other than that, they, they just accept it um even the older children when they can understand it on a bit more of a complex level they go into it with an open mind and an open heart and that's that's all i could really hope um because obviously you're, you're not born with prejudice you're not born with hate these are things which we unconsciously pass on and unconsciously learn and if you can learn them you can unlearn them so that's what we aim to do yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, uh, you know, um, again, the apologies if this sort of an, uh, leads to an, maybe an obvious answer, but what difference does it make teaching about this stuff now? Do You know, is it... Um is, is there, a, a, again, this feels like, of course, I feel like the answer to this is already in my head. Of course there is. But teaching them about these sorts of issues now, do you, does that lead to a, a difference later on? Is there is there evidence that backs that up? Well, Stonewall has been doing uh, various campaigns for... Uh, the last couple of decades in regards to tackling HBT bullying within schools, particularly within secondary schools, but there's some work in regards to primary schools as well. So the the whole it's not okay to say gay, um, that campaign and the various posters that were put up highlighting these issues and the effect that the use of this language has showed that over time there was a dramatic and noticeable decrease in the instances of HPT bullying. Um, if you begin to interact with something, it, if you're shown something in a positive way, you will interact with it in a positive way. So if we can teach children at this age that difference doesn't have to be scary, it's just different, then they're going to ideally have a more open mind to the possibilities of what is achievable and what is acceptable within their life. If it makes a difference to them on a personal level, where they may be LGBTQ themselves and it allows them to grow up in an environment where they're allowed to say that out loud and be given the support network around them, then that's a fantastic thing. But if it's just the case of they, they're not LGBTQ, but they happen to know someone who is, then hopefully they'll be more accepting of 
the 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 way that person identifies that that's all i ask um unfortunately in regards to the actual studies because it was only what 50 years ago that um being gay was illegal um the the studies are currently being done the um the findings are quite um shocking in a lot of instances but slowly but surely we are making progress and that's something i i, I try and focus on rather than some of the horrific statistics that surround these issues Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, and I mean, it, sort of with regards to, you know, of it, it, I mean, again, it's this is why I'm a terrible interviewer because often I speak to people like yourself where I just go, "What you're doing is brilliant." Of course, it's a great idea, rather than sort of being able to ask any kind of critical questions. But um, you know, of with with outcomes like that, and and uh, you know, with an understanding that it does make a difference, you know, do you find it surprising that there's still such a homophobic attitude towards what we've seen, like um, with the schools in Birmingham and Manchester? where parents have had to suspend lessons on same-sex relationships and how do you how, you know we, we've sort of discussed that the kids are easy to deal with how do you deal with the parents in situations like that um well thankfully with the majority of our performances we've received overwhelming positive feedback pretty much everywhere we've gone there's clearly an appetite and a desire for the inclusion of lgbtq people within wider society. So society is beginning to accept and appreciate the creativity and the flair and the beauty that exists within LGBTQ culture. Um, separate to that, we, we have also received some negativity. I, I was personally subject to um, a number of death threats over a significant period, and some of which had to be referred to the police uh, as a result of the work we were doing. Um, I found in the majority of instances that this kind of vitriol and this kind of homophobia, it, it doesn't necessarily come from a place of hate, um, which sounds like a, a strange and controversial thing to say. Um, but the majority of the people who complain about these issues, it generally comes from not understanding what they're actually being confronted with. Um, so we've had people threatened to protest, threatened to call the police and all this other stuff. And then they've arrived at the show and they've gone, this is perfectly harmless and it's actually quite fun. Um, so w what we're doing and what No Outsiders is trying to do as well is to introduce the concept in an acceptable and age-appropriate way so that you can battle down these preconceptions and these misconceptions. Unfortunately, particularly amongst certain religious um, sides of the arguments, there are a lot of people who can't separate gay people from gay sex. And as much as I would love my life to be as uh, as much about gay sex as they seem to think it is, it is <laughs> sadly not. Um, <laughs> but hopefully if the lessons work and if if projects like the one I run work, then the next generation will grow up without those preconceptions. And eventually they'll just fade away and people will look back and be slightly embarrassed. You were mentioning to me just before we started uh, recording that you uh, sort of saluting the work of Andrew Moffat, who's the, the head teacher. Is it right? The head teacher involved in the schools in, in Birmingham, isn't he, where the, the lessons have been um, uh, temporarily suspended? And I mean, from what I understand, he's he's an incredibly diplomatic man for what he's having to deal with. Um, but can you tell me more about sort of how you feel that you know he's, um, he's treating it? What is it about the way he's dealing with it that, that made you sort of uh, applaud him so much? Well, Andrew Moffat was actually one of the first people I uh, contacted when I started Drag Queen Story at wow. that time because I was familiar with, well, I, I found out about the work he's been doing with No Outsiders because the project's been running in various different places for about four years now. Um, so he, he's quite a big figure in this kind of thing and he faced similar backlash in a different um, school um, a, a few years back. Um, personally, I think he deserves a medal for what he's doing, especially the, the fact that if you go onto his Twitter feed, he's he's posting pictures of him smiling outside his school gates because he's just like I am every time he sees these vitriolic chants being like made against him, he focuses on the messages of support that are coming alongside it. Um, they they don't get as much publicity, but I I, I personally experienced it. It's private message after private message saying that you're making a difference to my life, so please keep doing what you're doing. Um, and obviously, Andrew Moffat is a fantastic teacher. He was nominated for one of the world's best teachers, um, which is a rare accolade, which he truly, truly deserves. And uh, I, I do definitely salute him. And I hope No Outsiders continues.
Yeah, I, 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 I really just liked um, just reading about his statements on it was so grown up, which I think in the current climate of politics, I was like, oh, it's so nice to read someone who's sensible and managing <laughs> this in a very diplomatic. Right, we'll just let everyone, we'll talk about this. Which I, was, I don't know, it just uh, it really melted my heart. Temporarily. I was like, oh, thank God that still exists. Um, it was very yeah, nice to it, hear. It's, it's far too easy to look at the videos from the protests and listen to what's being said and just react emotionally. Um, but that's not, well, well, I don't believe that's what's actually needed at this moment in time. As far as I'm concerned, protests shouldn't be occurring at a library. They shouldn't be occurring at a primary school. They shouldn't be occurring around children and you definitely shouldn't be involving your children. Um, so I, I think Andrew Moffat's got the correct approach and I think the local council and the, the educational figures who are involved in this the discussions have the right approach where it's about de-escalating the issue and then explaining it in a way that the people who have these objections can understand um, because that's the only way we're going to be able to get past this. There's there's no point shouting back because then you're just going to essentially bunker them down into their mentality and they'll consider themselves attacked and that doesn't help anyone, least of all the children. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And we'll be back with Tom in a minute, but first... Brexit It's late, I'm tired, and frankly there is little to report on anything Brexity other than still no one has the faintest fucking idea what to do. May's deal has been voted down, the alternative possibilities have been voted down, albeit to a lesser extent, and so that leaves the options that we have left as either May repeatedly bringing her deal back again and again until so many MPs die of old age and boredom that she can finally pass it, MPs get another vote on alternative deals and actually pass one of them, at which point the government has to allow a proper vote on it, which probably wouldn't pass because nothing makes sense. Or a no deal, or a comet hits Parliament and destroys it entirely, and we restart society again where everyone has to barter with potatoes and race goats to establish hierarchy. The main thing is, if there's no agreement on a deal by April the 12th, then we flop out of the EU like an exhausted lemming who hasn't even got the energy to fall off a cliff properly. The only ways of stopping that are voting for a deal which won't happen, at least not with May's deal, as Conservative MPs such as Richard, not from Guardians of the Galaxy, Drax, have now expressed regret at voting for a deal last week and so probably wouldn't do it again. At time of recording, there hasn't been agreed third vote on alternative options either, which may also happen. Or May could crawl back to the EU and ask for an even longer extension, which they might agree to, as it was touted before, meaning that we could have up to two more years of everyone saying no to everything and not planning a single thing before all of this starts again. Before which European elections would have to happen, which would just annoy everyone on all sides, not least schools who are having to ask parents to buy their children pencils. Yet here are these polling stations that the government has spent thousands on that have absolutely loads of pencils for people to use for a vote that may be entirely pointless. Or May could announce a general election in the hope that she'd gain a majority in order to win through her deal, but she wouldn't gain a majority and everyone knows that, but she was also told that about her deal and still did it three times anyway, so there's every chance May will still do it. I swear there are mules that would have given up by now. 
But if May does call a general election, a whole lot of Conservative MPs have said they'll block it, and a general election can only go ahead if two-thirds of Parliament want it to, so then it wouldn't. Labour could call a vote of no confidence, when that would essentially lead to a general election unless Corbyn could pull together a government in 14 days, which he couldn't because even his own MPs don't want to be part of it. But chances are Conservatives would vote against it anyway, as the only thing they hate more than themselves is anyone else's attempts to destroy their party first. May could potentially call for a vote of no confidence in her own government, but chances are she's the only person who does actually have confidence in herself, despite it being completely unfounded, and her MPs hate her so much that they probably block that as well. Someone is going to have to budge on something, or the UN will have to intervene, or perhaps May will pull in her red line so tightly that heat-seeking missiles being tested by a foreign power will mistake it for a target and we will all concede that actually ruled by another country was indeed best after all. I don't know, and to be honest, I've stopped caring. I mean, time will tell, and at the moment it says, can I put the clocks even more forward so we can just fast-forward all of this shit? Sadly, time, we can't, but I really, really wish we could. I may move the hands on my watch anyway and hope for the best. And now, back to Tom. And you sort of mentioned earlier that you feel like things, are, your society is more accepting. I, I, I remember reading a report, I think it was about a year ago, about how homophobic attacks had sort of risen in London. And But but overall, do you, do you feel like the UK has continued to be progressive with LGBT rights? Um, and if not, where is, where is it still struggling? I mean, I, at the moment, I personally feel that the government isn't progressive with anything. So I, I'm curious <laughs> to know if, if, it, if that's affected LGBT issues as well. Um, broadly quite progressive. Uh, LGBT rights have come a long way, particularly within the last 10 years. Um, that unfortunately has come with a bit of a double-edged uh, sword where a lot of particularly heterosexual society, but you, you see it amongst some of the younger gays who don't really know their history, um, where they say you've got equal marriage now, so what more do you want? Um, but equal marriage isn't actually equal. Pension payouts aren't actually equal. There, there are aspects which obviously need improvement. But overall, the mentality of the people of Britain and the society within Britain as a whole has definitely progressed in my life. Um, like I, I grew up assuming I would never be allowed to get married. Um, and now I'm happily engaged to my fiance. Um, oh, okay, congrats. Thank you. Um, I still can't quite get blood, but that's that's a different like, fight to be made. Um, uh, in regards to where it can be improved, um, lesbian, gay and bisexual rights have uh, definitely advanced to a point where most people should be comfortable and happy with them. Uh, unfortunately, trans people haven't been given the same kind of acceptance and involvement that they should have. Um, and uh, as no doubt you've seen, the country is currently involved in the national debate on whether or not they actually have the right to exist. And to my knowledge, they're the only group in history where that debate has ever occurred. Um, and until the media, and the media is partly responsible for this because the, you get all these happy, smiley people who you think are your friend because they're being nice every single morning when you're watching the news and then they're broadcasting this vitriol, this hate and this misinformation directly into trans people's homes as they're just trying to get ready for work. And it, it's, it's completely unacceptable. But until we get to a point where the media is willing to hand the microphone over to trans people and say, you have a voice, please use it, um, it's not going to progress much further. And unfortunately, with essentially trans people have become the brunt of what the 1980s homophobic attacks were. It's, it's exactly the same. It's just 30 years later. It, it really feels like that from, and I come from a perspective of not really uh, knowing, you know, I, I can't pretend to have any sort of uh, voice or, or clue on this uh, as a heterosexual man, but I, I, it feels like that from an outsider point of view of just sitting on social media and things like that, that that is the vitriolic subject at the moment, you know. And um, and I wanted to ask, again, it's something that I don't, I, I fully admit to not understanding that I, I read about the Stonewall chief exec um, announcing her resignation last month because of protests against her stance on transgender rights. So, you know, I know that the drag queens are transvestites and not trans, you know, but it's gender fluid issues. Do you feel like has the rise in awareness over trans issues caused divisiveness in the LGBT plus community? I mean, is that where's that come from? How's that affecting things? Um, well, 
Firstly, um, Ruth Hunt hasn't resigned from uh, Stonewall as a result of her support for trans rights. Um, there, there were certain aspects of the uh, community which identifies as feminist, but quite clearly aren't, uh, who wanted to push that narrative. But she's been the uh, executive of Stonewall for the past 14 years. So she just wants to do something else with her life, and I don't blame her. It, it can be exhausting. Um, in regards to whether or not there has been a backlash, uh, amongst certain sections of communities, there, there are p particular uh, sects of like lesbian feminists, or as they claim to be, um, where they're, they're pushing back because they seem to view uh, equal rights and equal opportunities as a uh, finite pie. And they think if trans people get the same rights and acceptances they have, then somehow they lose something. Um, I don't agree with them on that issue. Um, but they are, in my experience, very much the minority in this argument. It's just that they because it's it's sexy to watch on the television, because it's controversial, because people get involved in these arguments, they're the voices that the media focuses on. Um, and they're given far more of a platform than they actually deserve. But in my experience, overwhelmingly, the LGBTQ family and community stands together as one, because the moment we're separated, we, we fall. So trans, trans people are my brothers and sisters, and that's that. That's really nice to hear. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's simply the, the sort of uh, my, the, the friends that I have who are LGBTQ are very sort of uh, pro-trans, but it's, again, something that I witness from an outsider point of view and therefore have no understanding. So it's very good to kind of get your clarity on it. Um, and, and just, I mean, just as an aside as well, like, uh, you know, has because from a drag queen point of view, representation of drag queens is, uh, on television has gone up loads, obviously, yep. to, thanks to RuPaul, but also I know Netflix released an animation recently. There's been quite a lot. And that <laughs> must really help things uh i i think it does um whether, well i how do i phrase this um i'm not necessarily a the the biggest fan of uh rupaul's drag race uh, i like the earlier seasons i, I feel <laughs> like I, i've seen it kind of all now um but rupaul's drag race pushes a very specific idea of what drag is it's very much these are your uh th these are your fishy queens as it were um but there's so much more diversity than that and and that is beginning to come through you you see things like uh boy box in um london where adam all who's one of the performers for drag queen Storytime, who's a drag king has essentially invigorated this incredible underground drag king culture to the point where Adam's even being invited to give TED Talk speeches. Um, it, it's absolutely incredible. There, there's a diversity and beauty within it, which is beginning to shine through. Um, and if people are being introduced to that through RuPaul's Drag Race, and which many of the mothers who actually attend the Drag Queen Storytime performances are, like we talk to them after the shows because we do a meet and greet where they get to have pictures with their children. Um, and loves it but they say they sat at home watching rupaul's drag race and they just wanted to do something which was a little bit queer and, and if that gets them to involve themselves with the lgbtq uh, community and see that there is acceptance and love and genuine beauty there then that can only be a good thing um and i definitely like i remember growing up and seeing gay people on tv it wasn't talked about when i was at school it it didn't appear in any of the books i read uh, i read and now it's beginning to seep through um, and it, it's really heartwarming to watch. Love Simon coming out to the debut that he did in the cinemas and the success that he achieved was, to me, a, a crowning moment of the, this century. It, it, we're beginning to be accepted, and it's it's lovely. It's genuinely lovely. That's really good, and and it's yeah, it's 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 funny. Repul has done obviously. The, in in my head, I was concerned it was doing uh, like what the live at the Apollo does for comedy, which is very much narrows people's <laughs> perceptive of what it should be. But, but Repul is slightly, at least, Drag Race is slightly is giving a more positive result than that. Um, yeah. So, um, well, thanks tons for uh, talking with me. So, one final question, which is something that I ask everyone on this, and it's been so nice. This is the first interview I've had for some time that's been mostly positive uh, in, in today's current political climate. So, it's very nice to have a positive chat um for once um but um well in fact firstly what i should ask is how do people book uh, drag queen story time if they would like to have you at their schools or wherever else uh well we have a website so it's www.dragqueenstorytime.com and if you press i think it's the top button in the top right corner uh you can do an inquiries page and it send an email straight to my phone and if we have the availability which at the moment is quite limited um 
we'll try and arrange something. Obviously, we are a volunteer-run organisation without any like official funding, so we're we're trying to do what we can. Um, but there's a lot of demands. Uh, I'll get to it. <laughs> Sure. It's what a nice thing to be able to say. Um, and uh, and what I was going to say is, you know, the question I ask all the interviewees on this um, is simply that apart from yourself uh, and uh, Drag Race Storytime, um, what other groups, campaigns, individuals do you recommend that listeners um, follow or look up on either LGBT rights um, or school education or anything? I mean, who do you go to for info? Uh, if you're focusing on LGBTQ inclusion within education, particularly primary and secondary, um, organizations like Schools Out, run by Sue Sanders, who's an amazing, amazing woman who's been campaigning on these issues for the past 30 years or so, that's a fantastic organization. If you're in Scotland, it's the TAI campaign, which is the Time for Inclusive Education campaign. They've been running some amazing schemes for a while now. It's also got a beautiful little logo where it's a nice rainbow tie. Um, and also shout out to Pop and Ollie with Ollie Pike, who's been creating and distributing LGBTQ inclusive educational materials into primary schools free of charge as a result of his Patreon um, for the last year or so. How nice is that? An actually positive interview on this show. I know, right? And as Tom said, you can find Drag Queen Storytime at dragqueenstorytime.com or at DQST underscore UK on Twitter. Uh, Should you also wish to follow the much-mentioned Andrew Moffat, he's on Twitter at Moffat underscore Andrew. Next week, we'll be back to the same old abject misery about the state of things. But should you wish to recommend someone that I can have a positive chat with, or indeed anyone else miserable um, that I can find different questions to ask rather than just openly weep with them over a Skype line, then please do get in touch and let me know your suggestions. And you can do that. As always, at Parpolbro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast group on Facebook, the contact page on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk, or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or you could hijack the countdown board and send out suggestions for guests in code via the letters and numbers selected for each round. But I'll be too busy finding one swear word and then laughing about it to actually notice. So as always, it's probably just best to email, isn't it? And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. And thanks once again for doing the listening and that. And obviously, if you like any of the noises on this show, even if it's just the weird intake breaths I do after I say a sentence too fast, then please do think about giving the show a lovely review on your pod applages. Do chuck us some of your hard earnings to the Kofi or Patreon accounts and mostly spend your days travelling from town to town, banging on doors by the misty moon, delivering the word of pod. Sorry, I mean, please tell nice pods about this nice pods. Many thanking times to Acast for shielding this mouth-breathing hour into its sound sanctuary, to my brother the last sceptic for his musical happen sounds, and to Cat Day for typing up the linear liner notes every single week. This will be back next week when Nick Bowles announces his new party, The Bowles Club, and is suddenly inundated by requests to join from all the MPs over 70 years old. Bye! This week's show is sponsored by Steve Baker's Bulldozing for Hire. Need something knocking down? Angry Steve will happily turn up and pathetically prod at it for several hours before getting all out of breath, asking for some water and then blaming everyone else for it still being up. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com <laughs>